episode of University of Southampton World Menopause Day podcast, I speak to the Right Honourable Caroline Noakes, MP for Romsey and Southampton North and Chair of the House of Commons Women's Inequalities Committee about the recent Menopause and the Workplace Parliamentary Report, what employers can do to support those experiencing the menopause and society's attitude to older women. Caroline, welcome to this World Menopause Day podcast for University of Southampton. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And it's great to be able to take part in this. And I would say celebrate World Menopause Day, as well as register how much more work there still is to be done. So can I first ask you, how did the House of Commons Women Inequalities Committee Menopause and the Workplace Inquiry and Report come about? So we always decide collectively as a committee what inquiries we're going to do, what issues we're going to look at. And we decided uh, probably in May, June time of last year that we wanted to look at menopause. We were very conscious that people like Davina McCall had rise up both the, the awareness of the public, but rise up the political agenda. I was very conscious of the great work Carolyn Harris, who is now a committee member, but wasn't at the time. So she joined the select committee midway through the inquiry, very conscious of the work she was doing in Parliament on it. And yeah, let's discuss a little bit of self-interest. When you look at the makeup of the Women and Equality Select Committee, we were by a huge majority, largely made up of women in our late 40s and early 50s. And it suddenly really increased in relevance and importance. And when you looked at the way it was impacting women in work. And we were very conscious of the great work that was going on around HRT and around the medical implications of menopause. But we wanted to look at when you have the fastest growing section of the workforce is women over 50, when you have increased the state pension age, it's really obvious that women who are either perimenopausal or menopausal are making up a significant proportion of the workforce. And we wanted to understand how menopause was impacting them and their employment situation and also to understand you know not just bad so you always hear about the bad we wanted also to hear from the good from the great employers who'd put in brilliant policies and commitments and were really helping their staff get through the menopause with the minimum of disruption to their careers menopause is really having a moment isn't it in in the media and it's so brilliant this report has happened at government level as well. I think it's um, one of those things that could come and go, but now this has happened, it's something really solid to talk about. So whilst we know people of varying ages can experience menopausal symptoms, women in the 45 to 55 range are the group most impacted by the menopause, and there is an increasing number of women in this age range in employment. And the report that we've been talking about cites research conducted here at University of Southampton that reported that women who experienced at least one 
problematic menopausal symptom at age 50 are 43 more likely to have left their jobs by the age of 55 and 23 percent more likely to have reduced their hours and, and therefore income. Do you think we as a society are doing enough to support this group? Well, this is, I think, the really stark statistic that I keep highlighting. I keep talking about women giving up work altogether, women reducing their hours, women not taking promotions. And this has an impact on those individual women. And I think that we must never underestimate that. It means that they lose income, they lose pension contributions. Those who give up work altogether don't just lose increased pension contributions if they hadn't taken a promotion, but they lose all of those pension contributions. And you know, let's be brutally honest, these may well be women who also took time off work to bring up their children. And I'm very conscious that we still have a significant gender pay gap. We have an even more significant gender pension gap. And it feels to me very strongly that individual women are losing out financially. And that's really worrying. And that's something that we have to address. But it, it is bigger than that. So society is losing out. Younger women in the workplace are seeing their peers and mentors being, and I always use the phrase, being disappeared at 50. So they're giving up work or they're cutting their hours down. They're not taking promotion. They're, they're not going from middle manager to senior manager. They're just going. And so it means that we're not inspiring a new generation of younger women in the workplace. It also means that it's, and this is, you know, this is a brutal fiscal reality. It also means that we're losing out the tax contributions of all of those women. So the economy generally is losing it means that organisations and businesses are losing experienced women. Uh, and that's the point I always make, is we're not talking about people who've been in work a couple of years. By the time you're 50, you could well have been in work 30 years. You've got oodles yeah. of experience and knowledge. You are somebody who just gets on with the job. And so you're losing some of your most productive employees from organisations. And that's something that businesses that uh, institutions, organisations, whether it's the public sector or the private sector, simply can't afford to allow to happen. And so that's why I've become such an evangelist to say, look, let's make sure that organisations put in workplace menopause policies and let's make sure that they find routes to help women stay in employment. And for me, some of those adjustments, some of those changes can be really simple and straightforward and cheap and easy. Some of them are more complicated. I'm the first to acknowledge that. But it costs an organisation, on average, £30,000 to recruit a new person and bring them up to the speed of the person they've just lost. So why on earth would you not be prepared to spend a few thousand pounds making sure that your air conditioning is properly adjusted? Why would you not put in place flexible working policies? so that? And I always use this example, so that a woman who is suffering horrifically from insomnia, we all know how debilitating that can be. If you have sort of two nights of broken sleep on the trot, on the third day you'll be utterly useless at work. Menopause causes insomnia. So why would we not say, well, hang on a moment, let's make sure that we allow women to work flexibly. Let's be a little bit more tolerant about working from home. Let's look at, and I always say, you know, the report calls for a large public sector organisation. I always highlight the NHS, got a huge number of women working in it. Trial workplace menopause leave. See if giving a woman a few months of leave can help her come through it. Maybe go on HRT, maybe not. Maybe try a whole range of therapies and different uh, ways of working to see if you can manage your own menopause symptoms. Try HRT, see if that works, and then let them come back. And I think that can make a huge difference 
to the willingness of women to to speak up and speak out about what they're going through. Instead of thinking, this is going to see me managed out of an organisation, so this mm-hmm. could actually be the route to me being given the support that I need in order to be able to stay in work. Yeah, and I think it's such a good point you make about younger women having a vision into the future and kind of seeing that path travelled. And, and, you know, I don't know about you, but as a young woman, I never thought about menopause. It just wasn't on my radar at all. You know, I was diagnosed at 41. So even when I was menopausal, it didn't even cross my mind that that was it. I, I just thought it was going to, you know, I thought I had dementia. I was telling them Professor Jane Falkingham in episode one that I literally thought I had, had dementia. But as younger women, if we see older women or anybody experiencing the menopause being supported and thriving rather than yeah. just surviving at work, it gives a really kind of positive clear run for the future doesn't it rather than thinking oh well deal with it when it happens yeah it does and it also I mean and I think this is one of the big challenges is the stigma and the taboo around menopause but some of us have to be brave enough to talk about it so the report also found that stigma a lack of support and discrimination play roles in forcing menopausal employees out of the workplace in the survey commissioned for the reports of the 2000 women surveyed 67 percent reported a loss of confidence i can relate to that 100 percent and as a result of menopausal symptoms and 70 percent reported increased stress and despite this only 12 percent of respondents saw any uh, workplace adjustments with one in four citing their worries about an employer's reaction as their reason for not doing so. How do you think employers and line managers can have a positive impact on those experiencing menopausal symptoms? So the question I'm often asked is what single change could organisations make? And my view on that is appoint a workplace menopause champion. And we saw some brilliant examples. There was one NHS trust who appointed a whole range of champions uh, who roamed around in pink polo shirts that literally said, ask me about the menopause. And so you have to break down the taboo. You have to be prepared to talk about it. You have to be able to do so in a supportive and encouraging way. And you also have to accept lots of women don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that's fine as well. That's absolutely uh-huh. okay. But I think, and I don't know how you felt about it, but I didn't know anything about the menopause and I didn't know who to ask. And I'd never asked nothing. anybody. Nothing. You, you just know nothing. And I think... What is really important is, look, let's keep perimenopausal and menopausal women in work. Let's give them a supportive environment so that they feel empowered to talk about it, be honest about what they're going through. The number of times I would get emails when we were doing the evidence gathering sessions from women of my age who were HR directors who said, I want to give you this information. I want to give you this evidence, but I want it to be completely anonymous so that my employer never knows what I'm going through. And I'd be really go, you're the HR director. Effectively, you are the role model, the person who's going to help all those other women going through the menopause. I found that really worrying and scary that women themselves felt that if they spoke about their menopause, they would then be discriminated against. They wouldn't have the support and the protections that they need. So look, I think workplace menopause champions create an open environment where all colleagues feel empowered to talk about it and to ask for help. You know, we are, I always say that whenever I've got a new member of staff or an intern or a work experience student in this office, you would much rather that they asked you for help when they were doing something they didn't really understand and they just muddled on on their own. And I think we as a society are really bad at asking for help and we have to improve that and we have to be prepared 
to talk about difficult issues. And I always say that when I signed up to the Workplace Menopause Pledge, all of my staff said, oh, gosh, she's not going to start talking about it even more, is she? But that's part of it, isn't it? It's about creating a culture of openness. Caroline, my next question is, what is the Menopause Workplace Pledge and why is it so important? So this was set up by Wellbeing of Women and it is an opportunity for employers to commit to being to being good employers, basically to menopausal women, to have a, a culture of openness, to have a culture of support, to not just allow your employees to have the conversation about menopause, but to encourage them to have it. So to make sure that you have a policy that says, look, come and talk to me about it. If you want leave, if you want flexibility, you're going to be supported here. And I think it's really great when you see the organisations like uh, Parliament itself, the Civil Service, the NHS, lots of police forces have The University up. of Southampton. I'm very pleased to hear it that the University of Southampton has. And a lot of these organisations will have big numbers of female employees. And I think that's really important. But it's also important for small employers. And the thing that really strikes me is the number of SMEs in my constituency where I will suddenly have a male CEO send me an email out of the blue saying, oh, I saw you on the news last night talking about menopause. I just wanted to let you know what we were doing locally with whatever their organisation or business is. And they've been really great and enlightened and saying, you know, suddenly it all, all made sense. And when you said I should just let some of my employees come in later in the morning, I asked the question, you know, what difference is that going to make to my business? And one of them I can remember said, and the answer came back, none, that will make no difference whatsoever if I allow XYZ staff member to start at 11 and finish at seven in the evening, if that's what works for her. And I think that's the start reality, isn't it? That no two women will go through the menopause in the same way. We'll all have different symptoms. Some lucky, lucky souls will have no symptoms at all. But it, it is about just being sufficiently understanding. And actually, I would argue just being a good employer. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you about kind of getting past the point of where there is a stigma about the word. Or, you know, I think at the moment it's been said so much that maybe the sting's been taken out of it a little bit. However, also, as you say, some people don't want to talk about it. Some people who experience menopause don't want to talk about it, but hopefully they can just sit back and, and see that it's not taboo you know, even if they don't want to engage um, directly. So it brings us on to, we've had this steady increase of conversation about the menopause in the media over the last year or so. Dabina McCall, I think I was talking to Jane Falkingham in the previous podcast, Rod Stewart has been uh, talking, you know, about his wife, Penny Lancaster and her issues, problematic symptoms and, and World Menopause Day. What impactful initiatives do you think society can introduce and what do you think the government can do to improve the experience of those impacted by the menopause? Okay so my committee has come up with some very specific arts of government and apologies if these get a bit techy. First and foremost the Equalities Act we want to see them enact section 14 of the Equalities Act which would allow women to bring a discrimination case against employers on two grounds. At the moment, you have to pick and choose one ground only. And of course, the menopause in many cases, not every, but in many cases is about age. And of course, it's about gender. And so we're saying, look, let people bring a case that combines the two. Too many women at the moment are forced to bring discrimination cases using disability discrimination legislation. And menopause is many things. Uh, It can be horrible, it can be debilitating, but it's not actually a disability. Uh, So that's, I think, our first big ask of government. The second one is a bit more nuanced. So we're asking the government to consult on whether menopause should be a protected characteristic. 
there are some quite good arguments both for and against. I think my committee has come down on the side of four. We think it should be, but we want to understand what impact that would have. Now, look, I, I'm the first to say that if somebody needs to bring a case to a tribunal, that's that's a failure. But, you know, already that's, things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. And so sure. we've also said that Bayes should be supporting employers to put in place workplace menopause policies. And by that, I don't mean draw up a policy, stick it in a filing cabinet and forget that you have it. These have to be living policies that are actually enacted and everybody knows about and understands and have template policies that can just be downloaded off the Bayes website so that people can see what they should be doing and understand that better. We've said that we would like to see a large scale trial of menopause workplace leave and a whole bunch of recommendations around hormone replacement therapy and what more the government needs to do in that space. There's a lot that government could do, a lot more that government could do. Uh, and we're waiting, literally, you know, we go into uh, Menopause Awareness Month, we've got World Menopause Day, and the government response to our report is due. And from my perspective, I would like to see, uh, and I will be a bit political, so I apologise for that. Look, we've currently got a female prime minister, the first female Secretary of State for Health since 2007. They could really grasp this. And so, you know what, we're both women in our late 40s, early 50s. We should grab this and really make a mark to help other women. Um, yeah. And I hope that they're brave enough to do that. Yeah, that would be great, because my next question is, how do you think our society views menopause? And, and has it moved on since the word menopause itself was taboo? And, and Davina McCall and all of this World Menopause Day, of course, helps. But as you say, if you have women in government talking about it, do you think that would turn a really sharp corner? Yeah, I think we had earlier this year, the Women's Health Strategy published Dame Leslie Regan, who herself is a brilliant menopause campaigner, was appointed the Women's Health Ambassador. I think that's an opportunity to really push the agenda forward and to, to break down the stigma. And I think to, for many of us, menopause is very difficult, not necessarily to go through, but difficult to come to terms with mentally, not helped by the anxiety and the stress that can be additional symptoms of the menopause, but just the cultural thing of basically being prepared to stick your head above the parapet and say, you know, guess what? I am no longer a fertile woman and that doesn't matter. I can still make a valuable contribution to society, to the economy, to my own family, to the world, actually. And I think that we need to be really quite bold in not allowing, you know, women over 45 to be erased from public life, to be erased from our television screens. I think there is a really uncomfortable link up between sexism and ageism where you know men of 50 are seen as silver foxes and women of 50 we're are seen as women. yeah absolutely yeah just look at the way we're depicted in popular dramas on television you know the women who are over 50 are grannies or mad or irrelevant and it's still perfectly okay acceptable you know the norm to see men in television dramas in their 50s depicted with wives in their 20s and no one bats an eyelid absolutely and uh, you've used used language like erased and I think you said overlooked a few times and and now we're talking about women in this bracket being invisible and coming to terms with that kind of invisibility because we're not really in control of that it's society's issue 
And I think as well as the symptoms, it's the coming to terms with that invisibility as well that really impacts on our mental health. So, Caroline, what role do men play in relation to the menopause and women's health? For example, the recent use story of a male being appointed to period dignity officer in Tayside and indeed our own University of Southampton Menopause Working Group is co-chaired by the fabulous Richard Bell. What are the pros and the cons of this dynamic? So I'm not sure there are any cons. I think there are lots of pros. I want men to be involved in the conversation. Every man will have a colleague, an employer, an employee, a partner, a mother, a sister, daughter, whatever. There are women in every man's life. And it's important that they understand what their co-workers will be going through. And it's important that they learn how they can be supportive and helpful. And now, look, I'll probably say a bunch of things that people will find awkward. But I know as a woman that until relatively recently, colleagues of mine would think it would be okay to roll their eyes and sort of mutter, well, she's at a difficult age, isn't she? And they wouldn't dare do that to me now. But they might do it to others and they might subconsciously do it. And I think that that's the big challenge is that whilst we're encouraging women to be brave enough to speak out, whilst we're encouraging women to ask for help, we also have to educate men that they have to be receptive to requests for help. They have to think for themselves. Actually, instead of waiting for my colleague to say that she needs help around, you know, whether she wants post-it notes so she can write notes and stick them to her computer screen, whether she wants the aircon turned up or down. Yeah. This, you one, see, says press, this one says press record. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All those basic things that make our lives much easier. I want men to be thinking for themselves oh, we could offer that. And I think there are some great businesses led by men, an absolute legend in his own right, James Timpson, who has really spearheaded the Timpson's workplace menopause policies. And he's, you know, he's thought of the solutions. He's, you know, he provides the cost of HRT prescriptions to his workforce. That's phenomenal. And changed uniforms and allowed them to have flexible working and leave when they need it. Has he has been a real champion. I want every man to think, how can I help? Not if I'm asked for help, I will help. How can I help? How can I offer help? Um, And I saw a brilliant interview between Carolyn Harris, Labour MP for Swansea East. Uh, I hope I've got that right. Tim Lawton, Conservative MP for Worthing West. And the pair of them were, actually it might be Worthing East as well. I've probably got that wrong. The pair of them were doing something on Politics Live, talking about menopause. And there was uh, there was another guest who said that men should be excluded from the conversation. And interestingly, it was Tim who absolutely launched in saying, that's ridiculous. We need to be part of this. And men do. They absolutely men have benefit to be. from being part of the discussion and, and finding solutions too. That leads on really nicely into um, my next question, which is there's a limited awareness of how trans and non-binary people experience menopause in the workplace. And we couldn't find any research uh, at all. And given recent research has suggested that LGBT plus people may avoid educational and support resources around menopause, which are aimed at heterosexual or cisgendered women because they feel excluded by them. I got that from your report. I'm not calling yeah. it your report, but it is your report. <laughs> and the stigma around menopause compounded, uh, you know, the existing difficulties faced by transgender and gender non-conforming people who've already had so much that is set against them in society and in the current climate, which is really stormy for that group what can be done to help these groups as they experience menopause in the workplace 
So I think it is important that we are as inclusive as possible. And I never shy away from using the word woman. And I think we face the realities that you know, 51% of all people will go through the menopause at some time or other, some sooner, some later. Uh, and that will include non-binary people. It will include uh, men who were have been through gender reassignment and indeed, you know, those who, who have self-identified as men. And so we have to absolutely make sure that they are included as well, because it's about information and it's about encouraging people to know what their rights are and to be able to ask for help. But I think, you know, sensitivity is such a massive part of it. And don't set yourself against different groups just because you can or that you feel that you ought to. I Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, sometimes I take criticism. A lot of people like to say, ask Caroline Noakes what a woman is. She can't even define what a woman is. Well, yes, of course I can define what a woman is. Unfortunately, it just is a different definition to those which, you know, those who are gender critical may may wish me to come up with. But I think it's absolutely imperative in the same way that we would want to support any trans or non-binary person in the workforce on any issue. We must also support them on the menopause. That's great. Thank you. And the recent parliamentary report also found that the current law does not serve or protect menopausal women, as as you pointed out earlier. And witnesses told the committee that menopause related discrimination in the workplace is widespread and shocking. And as you mentioned earlier, the Equalities Act 2010 fails to provide adequate solutions and women forced to frame these claims as sex, age or even disability discrimination, as you mentioned. And the paper also reported that the government must launch a consultation no later than the end of 2022, exploring how to introduce menopause as a protected characteristic. Will this become a reality? Wow, that's a big question. Will it become a reality? I hope so. I want the government to be bold on this. I want them to recognise that 51% of the population will go through this, that we need support. Uh, you know, this, the stats are terrifying. I think it's something like between 2017 and 2021, there were only 44 cases brought to tribunal where the word menopause was even used. And of those 44, a quarter of them were disability discrimination claims. So look, there's a massive problem with underreporting people who feel stressful and anxious about their menopause are perhaps the least likely who are going to feel empowered to bring a tribunal case anyway. And so I want the government to just make it a bit easier. So bring in the dual characteristics and have a look about whether menopause should be a protected characteristic in its own right as maternity is. And look, there there are pros and cons to it. And a lot of those people who wish to push back against that say it will make male employers more reluctant to employ women over 40. Look, I actually think that's bunkum. We're the fastest growing group in the workforce anyway. And employers want reliable, experienced employees who will be able to contribute to their organisations. And if they are going to overlook women so widely, these are organisations that are going to simply not find the staff that they need in the current climate. It's quite interesting. I've spent an awful lot of time over the past 12 months talking to employers whose biggest pressure is recruitment and would-be potential employees looking at the policies that they have in place around flexible working, around reporting, things like the ethnicity pay gap. They are looking for progressive, supportive employers. So I don't think it would be a negative, but I want the government to consult, find out all the facts and then come to a decision. 
I don't know whether they will respond to that recommendation favourably. I hope that they're brave enough. I do too, clearly. And I think it's such a great point that you make that why are we worrying if employers will employ us? Employers should be worrying if we want to apply to them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, before we go, finish up, what are we working towards in an ideal world scenario, Caroline? What better support those experiencing menopause in the workplace? So my ideal is that the government brings forward an employment bill, which makes having a workplace menopause policy obligatory, that the government also includes in the employment bill the right to request flexible working from day one. I would like to see a much more open-minded attitude from all employers about flexible working. It's not just good for women. It's great for everyone. And I think it's really important that we continue talking, we continue the conversation. If employers wanted to make one difference, employ your menopause workplace champion. And don't just give someone the title, give them you know, a little bit of clout and kudos for having uh, taken on the role. And I think, Jim, let's just break down the stigma. Keep talking. Caroline, you've been a brilliant guest. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.